One year, while attending the Conference for Women in Boston, I found myself sitting face-to-face with a sex therapist. The famous sex therapist, might I add. And ever since then, I've been wondering, do our relationships in the bedroom affect our relationships in the boardroom? Welcome to episode 48, where I am joined by couples and sex therapist Hallie LeBlanc, where we discuss all of the aspects of relationships. This episode is sponsored by Nickerson, a full-service branding, marketing, and PR and communications agency with team members in Boston, LA, Miami, and New York City. Visit them at nickersoncos.com. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. I ended up in that room completely by accident. You see, I had paged through the conference booklet and noticed a session titled Modern Love, the description of which led me to believe that the session would be about relationships in the modern world. And I thought, hey, this session is for me. I'm all about relationships and I'm a modern woman. So I headed off to the session. I was one of the first people to enter the conference room, so I moved all the way into the center of the aisle. I hate having to walk across people to get to a seat, and I didn't want anyone else to have to do that, so I sat in the dead center of the row. The speaker was Esther Perel, who I didn't know at the time, but have since learned is a world-renowned relationship and sexual therapist. She started off the session by asking the audience who was in a relationship. Almost the entirety of the audience raised a hand. Her second question was, who here is not in a relationship, but would like to be in a relationship? A few hands shot up. And her third question was, of those here in this room in a relationship, how many of you want to get out of that relationship? Almost all of the hands from the first question shot back up, except for mine. It was at this point that I realized that I was not in a session where we would discuss how to foster relationships across generations, but instead we would be talking about marital relationships, specifically sexual marital relationships. I thought about leaving, but remember, I'd sat in the dead center of the aisle with at least 15 people seated on either side of me and getting out would have caused a ruckus. So I stayed. And then I texted my friend Hallie, who at the time was studying for her sexual therapist license. It was a simple text. Have you ever heard of Esther Perel? She replied, oh my God, I love her. How did you discover her? And I responded, well, I'm kind of looking at her right now. I sort of made my way into one of her classes by accident. And she said, oh my God, you have to tell me what you think. So I knew I was going to stay and I was going to report back. Esther talked about how the quality of our relationships affect the quality of our lives. And even though she was referencing marital and sexual relationships, I think it's true for all aspects of our lives, whether it be our spouse, family, friends, colleagues, or our broader network. The stronger the relationships that we cultivate, the better those aspects of our lives will be. My friend Hallie has since gone on to become a sought-after sex therapist, and over the years since I accidentally stepped into that sex therapy session, I've continued to wonder, do our relationships in the bedroom affect our relationships in business? This is why I've asked Hallie to join us today, to have a frank discussion about relationships and sex and how being sexually healthy might just lead to greater success. Hallie, my friend, thank you for being here today. 
Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to come on and to talk about this. If we start real basic, what does a sex therapist do? So there's some common misunderstandings, I think, about what a sex therapist does. And there's this perception that sex therapists almost exclusively talk about sexual related issues. But all sex therapists are trained as psychotherapists first with a specialty in sex therapy. So there's a lot of reasons why people will come to see a sex therapist. A lot of times I'm seeing people that are coming for erectile dysfunction or struggles with orgasm a lot of challenges after fertility treatment or vaginal pain or experiences after a sexual trauma are often issues. So it's not just we're not having sex. There's a lot of reasons why people come to a sex therapist. And there's a lot of people that come for that reason. (laughs) I think more than anything, when we think about we're not having sex, oftentimes that's describing a desire discrepancy. We're not having enough sex to my liking, or she never wants to have sex. I always want to have sex. There's a problem with her sexuality or his sexuality or their sexuality that is not being addressed and we don't know what to do. We've talked it to death. I've asked for what I want and it's not working. But do most couples talk it to death? Because I feel like that is a hard conversation to have to say, I'm not having enough sex in this marriage. Do people really talk to it? By the time they get to you, have they talked about it or do they go to you because they're not talking about it? They have complained about it. They have said, this is a problem. They have said, you need to do something about this or I'm not happy about this, but they haven't been able to have a genuine conversation about what's underneath it. And, you know, that isn't entirely their fault. There is not a lot of education around how to talk about sexuality and how to talk about sexual health as something that should be important to any partner. Mm -hmm. So many people arrive in their relationships and they're like, what the fuck? How come this isn't working? I watched all the Walt Disney movies. It's supposed to be easy. You're supposed to find the person that you, and we're talking about committed relationships now, but I see a lot of couples that are not married that are trying to figure out if they want to be in a committed relationship. And they've arrived to a point where they decided my sexual health and the way I feel about sexuality and the importance of it in my life is something that needs to be brought to the table. And so they come in for those reasons, it's an awareness that it's a, an issue. And we're lucky that people are starting to turn the corner, so to speak, in terms of looking for help and being able to talk about this and bring it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Whereas 30 years ago, when Esther Perel started doing her research, there was nothing. Nobody was talking about this. Now it's become a little bit more on par, I think, when we think about emotional health and physical health. Every once in a while, I hear somebody talk about sexual health as a component as well, but it's so intricately related to all of those things that it is shocking to me that we're not talking about it more. First off, we hear a lot about your physical health, like taking care of your body and physically. More so, we've heard a lot about the importance of mental health and looking at mental health differently and taking care of not just our bodies, but our minds as well. I don't really feel like I hear anything positive about let's talk about how to have great sex in our relationships and in our lives and how important it is. Why is sexual health important and why are we not hearing enough about it? Absolutely. If we think about what we were taught about sexuality when you're 30 to 70 years old, anybody within that time frame, 
we're thinking about maybe a middle school or a high school sex education class or, or a reproduction class, pretty much. I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking about how to get pregnant, how not to get pregnant and what rape is. And no one's really, I mean, where we were, no one was really talking about what consent looked like. It was no means no, maybe you heard that, but it was really more about STDs. Like this is medical and really a sex negative spin on all of the dangers of sexuality. Right. So back to your question, why is it even important? right? Why is sexual health? So when we think about sexual health, the World Health Organization defines sexual health as your state of physical, mental, emotional, and social well-being as it relates to sexuality. So that's a very different understanding of what sex is and isn't. We're not talking about do your parts work. This isn't about parts. This is about how you feel about having sex, about having physical touch, self, any kind of pleasure, all of those words, they just were not available when we were learning about this. And when we think about sexual health, when we think about checking in and acknowledging that this is an important part of who you are as a person, you start to realize the connections between, oh, when I feel sexually healthy, when I feel good about the kind of connection, physical connection and intimacy that I'm experiencing with a partner, there is an impact. There is an impact on your self-esteem. There's an impact on your confidence. There's an impact on your mental health. There's an impact on your physical health. There's no better stress reliever than an orgasm. Even when you really don't want to have sex, it still works. It's like a fundamental right, you know, and yet no one's taught that. I've, I've read everything, you know, that sex is better for your skin. Sex is better for your weight maintenance. I mean, there's like a lot of theories out there, but I think the bottom line is when you're paying attention to it, when you give it the treatment it deserves and you eliminate the shame that we've all been taught around what sex should and shouldn't be you're more grounded, you're a more wholesome, a more connected person to your partner and to yourself. So my question coming into this conversation, the overarching question was, does the way our relationships feel at home affect the way we carry ourselves in business? And does it affect our other relationships? So how could the fact that I'm sexually healthy and I have a healthy sexual relationship with my husband or my partner or whatever, how does that affect my confidence? How does that affect who I am? Because I, I feel like there are people who are completely different at home than they are in the office. They're bulldogs in the office. And you think, man, that person's got to go home and fuck his wife seven ways to Sunday, you know, but <laughs> that's not exactly what's happening. So I'm trying to figure out, is there a correlation or is there a maybe, maybe not? I think there's a maybe, maybe it's like, yes and no, there's absolutely, I can think of dozens of examples of people that have come into my office and have really been distraught, have been worried about their relationship with their sexuality. And as that improves, as they feel more certain, as they feel more confident, they come back. They're talking about how everything seems to be going well. However, if there's dozens of people that are doing that, there's, I would say, <laughs> a significantly larger portion of clients that come in with exactly that situation that you're describing. 
they look amazing at work. They're confident. They are authoritative. And yet, what we know is that work can serve as a great distraction. Work is a great place to funnel a lot of that energy. But if you funnel that energy at work and you come home, there's two things that happen. Number one, there's not a lot of energy to do that same level at home. Right. And secondly, what you find is that in your home, in that committed relationship, what we see is the shit that you have been dragging around for years. So for example, if you came from a household where you were not told that you were of value and if you were struggled to be able to speak your mind in some ways, then professionally, you might wake up in the morning and be like, you know what, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to be on my stage. And this is obviously a subconscious thing, but you have this capacity to sort of like muscle through it mm-hmm. when you're at work. And then when you come home, when you're in the relationships with the people that you love and you trust the most, we see that other side show up. We see the lack of confidence. We see the shame, the concern. I mean, that's what we're seeing, that people put it out at work and they come home and that's where they're struggling. And then they come to see, you know, the therapist that can really take away some of that, try to filter through. Mm -hmm. So that might come out, for example, in communication patterns, or they may not be voicing their opinion at home in the same way that they're voicing their opinions at work, which is maybe a safer space to do so because there isn't that fear of abandonment. Yeah. There's the difference between courage and abandonment. And when you're at home and you're talking to your partner who you're acting out some of that stuff, like, oh, if I screw this up here, I could lose him or I could lose her or them. That's very different than I could lose this account. Yeah. So I think you also see a lot of that shame around when when we talk about these families in which sexuality was not talked about, there really isn't a lot of vocabulary or capacity to talk. There's nothing to say. Um, And so people don't say anything at all. So I run a company, my husband runs a company. I feel like we can become business partners because we're both integral in each other's businesses. And when I come home, I just, I'm tired. And so we went through this process of, we would schedule sex to make sure it was happening. And we called it quickie Friday and Sunday fun day. And I'd love to know your thoughts around scheduling it because when you're first in a relationship, everything's spontaneous. You'll you'll just fuck anywhere. Like you'll just, because you're just so like, you're so enamored and you're so in love and you're like, let's do it here and do it there and do it here. And And then when, you know, I'm 20 years into my relationship now, it's like, oh my God, time can go by. And I've looked at the calendar and it's like, when was the last time we had sex? So then we started scheduling it. I'm asking a sex therapist now. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? (laughs) Well, did it work for you? It did work. I mean, in the sense that we made sure we were doing it on Fridays and Sundays. There was no spontaneity to it. There was no, you know, but it was, it got the job done. Julia, check the box. (laughs) You're telling me that you scheduled in your orgasm for stress relief twice a week. I hear you. Exactly. Okay. Right in my calendar. All right. So here's the thing. I think that when we think about intimacy, it's about effort. 
And, and, you know, Esther Perel, actually, you were talking about Esther Perel. She has a great quote. She'll often say, there's that new energy when you're in a relationship, that new energy is really about, there's some mystery to it, right? There's some, I don't really know this person that well. I, 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 there's fun, there's spontaneity. That beginning part of a relationship is, is the best. And also there isn't a lot of security and love that's really built up in that time. It's more about fun. And as a relationship becomes a longer term relationship, what we see is that the love and the security piece of it increases and the desire almost always goes down because that mystery, the fun, the spontaneity is not really, it's not typical in most relationships and that's completely normal. So what she talks about, she'll often say, <laughs> what, what is going to happen naturally, you know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, this idea about spontaneous desire. And Esther Perel will say, what, what is going to happen naturally has already happened. So you need to give up on that and think about what is it like to create these are more erotic spaces, the time, setting aside time is great. I love that idea. I, I know a lot of couples that it works for, and I know a lot of couples and relationships that it doesn't work for, but, but it really is an individual preference. The biggest shift about setting aside the time, for me, this is one thing that I do a lot of work with clients around, is that if we can shift the idea that it's the time that we have to have sex, if we can shift that idea to this is a time we're going to set aside and see what comes up in terms of our desire and our interest. Then we're making space for the idea that, hey, it was a really bad week. I had a pitch that went really poorly. I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. But we still have this time to think about, okay, in this context, what do you need? Do you need intimacy? Do you need to be held? What would feel good? How do we promote our intimacy and Keep in mind, sexuality is important to each of us, but that it doesn't become scheduled like you have to get it done and you move on. It's an opportunity to connect. It's that opportunity to cultivate intimacy. And what we see in long-term relationships is it's your opportunity to discover internally, how has your sexuality changed? I hope, Jules, I'm telling you, I hope if you and your husband are having the same sex that you had when you were 24, like we got, we got a different talk that we have to have. <laughs> okay. Because, tell me about that. Tell me about how it should have changed. Because it, it because we all are evolving, mm-hmm. right? We all evolve. But the things that we liked when we were younger, it is very, oftentimes people feel really comfortable. They don't want to change it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, this is my way to get off, but it gets boring. And so in order to maintain that space, the spontaneity, the novelty of a longer term relationship, it often requires some internal reflection around what would I be interested in trying that we haven't ever done before? And I'm not talking about Victoria's Secret and and a new toy, although toys are great and I'm such a fan, but there's more to it. It's about how have I changed in terms of my sexuality? Well, let's open that door a little bit. What if somebody comes from a family in which they didn't talk about sex, sex was taboo, they actually don't know that they have options in the bedroom. How does one begin to explore what is available to them that can be different? Because 
there's a lot of people that uh, this big wide world of sex is going to blow their mind. So like, how does somebody learn more okay. about how they should have evolved in their sex with their partner? I love the idea that we are each taking responsibility for our own sexuality because I don't know if you're familiar with this, but many, many people have been conditioned over time to expect that good sex comes from having a good lover. Like if you look at any cosmopolitan magazine, men's health magazine, women's health magazine, how to make her A, B, or C in under 15 seconds, how to make him blah, blah, blah. This is one of the biggest things I battle in my office is breaking down the idea that another person is responsible for your pleasure, that your partner should be a mind reader or should be experienced or should know enough tricks to get you off faster, better, more consistently, repeatedly, that is on the other person. Mm -hmm. So they come into my office and I have to do a lot of work with both men, women, and, and non-binary people to talk around what is it that you know about yourself? How do you know yourself? When have you given yourself the space to explore what feels good to you? And how have you done that? And what has it been that's gotten in the way? Those are a lot of the conversations. Now, this is really fun work to do with a partner. There's a lot of opportunities. I'm thinking down to the days of grand opening jewels, you know, like when yes. you go into. Oh my God. All right. For the <laughs> listeners who don't know, Hallie and I used to be roommates in Brookline in Quidditch Corner. And there was a sex shop called the grand opening. And Hallie and I spent a lot of time <laughs> in that sex shop. <laughs> And the reason that it worked for us at the time was because it was a sexuality boutique. Yes. It was not a sex shop. It right. was a sexuality boutique, which was designed around education and about decreasing shame and increasing pleasure. And so we had the opportunity to go and ask questions and to do that in a place where there isn't kind of the stigma of a sex shop, like the seedy kind of image is incredibly liberating. Yes. So there's the piece, right? Like I remember being in that shop and finding those ask your partner question mm -hmm. cards, the conversation starter cards. Those are a great place to start. But then there's also so many other things that are available to, to partners now. When I think about, I'm often prescribing, so to speak, like, erotica in that might be in a written form it may be in a visual form it may be about watching or reading together and sharing your thoughts and your curiosities I mean curiosity is the name of the game mm -hmm. curiosity is where you want to find a partner that you can be curious and and vulnerable with and say I think this might feel good or I want to experiment with this it might include sort of BDSM or, you know, kink related stuff, but it doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. It can be just how have I, what has changed about me that would make my sex better for me? If you have two partners that know what would be different and what would make it good for them, that equals good sex. Not Do you have to have good sex all the time. Like, can't you have like a want, want day? Like, and you're like, oh, Jesus, that did not work for me. Oh, my God. Constantly. We get so caught up in our egos around yeah. this, right? Like the idea, there's a lot of people that come into my office and think, oh, well, our sex life is kind of boring and dull. So we don't have a good relationship. And as if it's a barometer. Right. The reality is if you're having this conversation, if you say to Chris, like, 
Um, our Friday quickie is my stress relief. So I don't give a shit if you have a good time. I don't give a shit if I have a good time. It's just, we're getting the job done. And on Sunday, our Sunday fun day, I want to spend time. I want to be curious. I want to, I want to slow down or maybe I don't want to slow down. I want to go faster whatever it is. It's about knowing what works for you and creating that space. The communication is the most important piece. If you go into an expected intimate rendezvous, so to speak, with someone and your expectations for the time is different than their expectations for the time, that's bad sex. Right. But if you can agree to this is what our sexuality is about, or this is the amount of intimacy I feel like I need tonight, and you have some conversation there's a fine line between how much do you talk it to death and how much do you just do it but committed sex is is premeditated committed long-term sex is premeditated and it's important to be able to talk with your partner about what works what doesn't work and and it's a reassessment that i think is valuable to have regularly you may not know it if you're listening to this episode, but this is a business <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, but so many things we've said, they translate. If having a healthy sexual relationship with your partner is all about communication, well, that's what I talk about all the time. It's all about communication. So if you can become a better communicator in all parts of your life, then all of the parts of your life will get better. I think so. Yeah. I've listened to many of your podcasts. I, I feel like I've learned a lot because you and I hang out in different right. worlds. So <laughs> I was thinking about that when you called originally, you said like, what can you teach us? What, what is it that is valuable? And the thing that I was thinking about is that there is definitely some value around the, when I think about good communication in partners or in relationships, period, we're thinking about that idea of differentiation, which is knowing how you feel about something, being able to express it to another person and being able to manage your own reaction to whatever you hear, right? That's the basis of quote unquote communication problems is often it's one of those three things that's getting in the way. And when we think about business, when I think about business, I'm thinking about, oh God, yeah, Julie would love this. This is definitely makes sense. There's, you need to know what it is that you want and that what really is going to make it, things work for your business or for what kind of um, relationship you want to have with people. There's also the piece of being able to tolerate and manage the anxiety of asking for it. When I think about that, I think about the correlation to the work I do is around, it's really hard. It takes so much courage to ask for something that you need to ask for something without the foundation of a relationship. So when I was thinking about how does this relate to your work, I was thinking in couples work, I'm not encouraging people to be like, be assertive and ask for what they want if they feel like their relationship is about to fall apart. That's not a good time to ask for what you want. What you wanna do is ask for what you want and what you need on the foundation of a relationship that's based on fun and admiration and gratitude and affection and that friendship, right? These are the, the pillars, so to speak, 
for what you need in order to have that courage, in order to have the bravery to ask for what you want. So as I was thinking about all of your networking advice, I'm like, oh, this is exactly what she's been talking about all along. You can't make an ask if you haven't nurtured a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so it's a step one, step two, so to speak, that the, the elements of good communication and of being able to know yourself and know what you want to ask for, they sort of float on top of that foundation, good nurtured relationships. Yeah. And I think when people are building relationships for me, when I'm coaching people, people are always nervous about building new relationships. They always wonder what they have to offer a relationship. There's always an anxiety around asking people to spend time with them or asking people to be a part of their network or be their friend or whatnot. And I think one thing I've learned this year over the course of doing this podcast is that courage and confidence comes with repetition. And so the more we repeatedly use the tools that we have to ask for what we want or to share what we want or share the pieces of ourselves, the easier that will be. And mm-hmm. that, tra- that will translate from every boardroom to every bedroom, I think. No question. no question. And I think that also lends itself to going back to the idea of sexual health. When you feel good about yourself, when you feel confident or the confidence that comes from improving things sexually for yourself, even that is such a power boost mm-hmm. that it makes other things feel less intimidating. It makes you feel like if I could do this where I'm most vulnerable and I have to work through all of this stuff maybe that I've brought to the table in this intimate relationship that I have, then practicing it becomes one more thing that you can conquer, so to speak. And I think there is a practice component of that that's that's elemental. This is great. I mean, honestly, I could talk about sex all day long and talk to you all day long because you're my friend. Is there one last tip that you want to leave with the listeners? Again, men and women listen to this podcast. I think if people listen to this podcast and they think about if they even ask themselves the question about what is my sexual health like? I think that is the starting point in which there's so much opportunity and there's so much possibility. And that that is something that I hope that they'll bring home or they'll think about with their next Tinder date. I hope that it shows up in a way that is like, it's important and you deserve it. And it doesn't have to be filled with shame. That would be the most hopeful thing I could impart. I want this podcast to be a place where people come for answers or come to begin a journey. So if this starts their journey to a healthier vision around sex and their sexual relationships, then you and I have done our job for today. This has been a blast. I've really enjoyed being able to think about those correlations in a way. It wasn't really, Jules, it wasn't until you asked me about if there was a relationship that I started to really think about it. And I found myself really surprised. Well done. Isn't Hallie great? I could talk to her for hours. I and mean, we've been friends for more than 20 years, so we can talk about anything. But the truth is, it's usually easier to talk about intimate things with our friends than it is to talk about those same things with our partners. If Esther had asked that conference room, who here wants to get out of a friendship, hardly any of the hands would have shot up. Sometimes it can be hard to talk to and open up to the people who are closest to us. 
Relationships are messy and they take work and it can be really hard to be vulnerable even with the people we love the most. Some people who are confident at work can't even talk to their spouse about the fact that they haven't had sex in four months. And that has to have an eventual effect on their psyche and their confidence. Hallie mentioned that. She said she sees this with people she treats. When sexual health and happiness is addressed, there's a ripple effect into other parts of their lives. The quality of our relationships affects the quality of our lives. That's what this podcast is all about. Building and fostering strong, supportive, and loving relationships all around us. And the foundation of those relationships has to be communication. So whether we are talking about your relationship with your partner or a potential client, it all comes down to knowing what you desire and being able to communicate that. There are so many sex-related cocktails to pick from for this week's Drink of the Week. I mean, the Slippery Nipple, Sex on the Beach, Liquid Viagra, The Blowjob, Golden Shower. It went on and on. I even found a cocktail named Bend Over Shirley. But of course, I decided on the Screaming Orgasm. One of the best-known cocktails from the 1980s. Honestly, it should be called the Screaming Blood Sugar Level, but I digress. Here's what you're going to need. One and a quarter ounces of all of the following. Vodka, Kahlua, Amaretto, Baileys, half and half, and whole milk. You put all of that into a shaker with ice, and you shake it up, and then you pour it into a hurricane glass. The recipe says it takes eight minutes to complete. Seems about right, if you know what I mean. Also, if you wanted to admit the vodka, then you just got yourself a regular orgasm, not the screaming kind. But what's the fun in that? All right, friends, <laughs> thanks again for being here. Pretty pleased if you haven't had a chance to review the podcast on iTunes. I'd love it if you took a moment to do that. It really does make a difference. And until next week, cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works.